It's philosophy talk. Oh, you said a bad word. I'm going to tell your mama on you. She going to whip you too. Yeah, that's what she going to do. Come out at you. In a free society, should any words be forbidden? Some words are so hateful and so disrespectful, no decent person would ever use them. Take the N-word. When you call someone by the N-word, you're really saying, look, you merit this treatment, and, and that's potentially violent treatment. But then go to a lesser slur, say, honky. The institution that supports that discrimination is just not as severe. Said a bad word and don't you forget. Where do slurs and curse words get their power? And you're not really in the clear yet. The greater significance is that they really reflect social facts. Our guest is Chris Hom, author of Hating and Necessity, The Semantics of Racial Epithets. Forbidden Words, coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Mars Theater, the Bay Area's breeding ground for new performance. Our thinking originates across the Bay at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Ken and I are distinguished professors of philosophy there. Welcome everyone to Philosophy Talk. Now, today, we're going to talk about forbidden words. Now, when we say forbidden, we don't mean legally forbidden. This is, after all, still the United Friggin' States of America. And last I looked, we still enjoy the First Amendment rights to say whatever we darn well please except certain words on public radio. <laughs> we're talking about morally forbidden words, words that hurt insult and demean. But John, what, what do you make of that old saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, well, they'll never hurt me. What about that? Well, like most old sayings, it's wrong. I mean, think of racial epithets like the N-word, or ethnic slurs like the K-word, or gender-based slurs like the B-word or the C-word. That sort of language can be incredibly hurtful. You know, I, I agree with you, but you know, there are some black people, for example, who use the N-word not as a term of derogation, but almost as a term of endearment uh, or racial solidarity, although they pronounce it funny when they do that. But th and there's this feminist magazine, uh, Bitch. I doubt that the publishers of that magazine think of themselves as derogating women in any way. Those are appropriated uses of slur words, Ken. That's when a group that was originally the target of a slur appropriates the word for their own use, and they use it in a non-slurring fashion. You know, that appropriated use of slur words, I think they raise some really fascinating issues. I mean, take these black rappers, they use that word all the time. What actually, if anything, prevents a white person from using the N-word as a term of endearment? Or, or can only a black person get away with that, and why? Well, we should definitely come back to those interesting questions, Ken, but Let's focus on standard, non-appropriated uses of slur words first. My gut tells me it's always wrong to call a woman the B-word or to call a Jewish person the K-word. Wrong. wrong. Wrong in what sense? Morally objectionable in the sense of wrong or wrong in the sense of just false? Both. To call a Jewish person the K-word is to imply that they're despicable because of their religion. To call a black person the N-word is to imply that they're despicable because of their race. 
But those things are just false. No one is despicable just because of their race or ethnicity or religion. Well, but John, you know, not everything false is morally objectionable. I mean, I could call you a Martian. Sometimes I think you are a Martian. <laughs> but I, I, I might have said something false when I did that, but not anything morally objectionable. Well, when you use an ethnic slur, you're not just implying something false. You're, you're helping perpetuate or echo a history of oppression. You're just helping yourself to certain negative attitudes that are associated with words, stereotypes that have been historically used to keep the targets of the slur in their place. That's the morally objectionable part. Conversely, if you refuse to use these words, you disavow the oppressive history that's wrapped up in them. No, you know, but you make it, I take your point, but, but that way of th uh, thinking about it makes it sound as if a slurs are always and only instruments of Oppression, but you know, take the slur word honky. That's a racial slur. <laughs> That's a racial slur typically aimed at the historically more powerful by the historically less powerful. It's sort of a defensive slur. I take your point, although I don't accept that you're less powerful than I am. Uh, in one way, though, honky is just as bad as the N-word. So I still find it objectionable. Also, why do you find that objectionable? Well, because it's used to denigrate white people just because they're white. So now, now it sounds like you're suggesting that no slur words ever have legitimate uses. Uh, if that's what you're saying, I, I think I disagree. And here's why, because it's just a fact. Some people are really and truly a-holes. Some people <laughs> are really and truly effing Nazi bastards. And you know what? Such people deserve to be slurred. Well, I think as philosophers, we need to make a distinction. There are two different kinds of slurs generalized slurs and particularized slurs. A generalized slur conveys the kind of thing we've been talking about, a negative attitude towards an entire class of people. Even when the speaker is referring to just one member of that class. Particularized slurs, well, they're more particular, more individual. So I guess you're saying if I call a Jewish person, say Schwartz, the K-word, I'm not just denigrating Schwartz, I'm denigrating all Jews in one fell swoop. But if I call Schwartz an a-hole, I'm just expressing a negative attitude toward him without necessarily having any bad attitudes toward anybody else. Exactly right. Particularized slurs might sometimes be legitimate, but generalized slurs are probably never legitimate. You know, John, I, I think you just made a great distinction. It's really cool, I, and I think it explains a lot I think it shows how subtle and complicated the language of derogation can be. You know, it sounds like we've got a lot to discuss here. I'm really eager to dig deeper into this. Well, first we're going to go to our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esch. We sent her to take a closer look at that phenomenon we mentioned a while back of appropriated slur words. She files this report. Many years ago, Inga Musio was working as a writer for an alt-weekly newspaper in Seattle. At the top of every article, she'd write word count, followed by the number of words. One day, she submitted a story and accidentally omitted the letter O in count and got an entirely different word. The newsroom was in a tizzy. Here's Musio on the phone from Seattle. That got me to just being fascinated with just the, 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 the naked power of this word, you know? The responses it evokes in people is fascinating. Musio decided to write a book about the origins of the word and her quest to reclaim it. Now, notice that the C word ought to be exactly parallel semantically to prick. Robin Lakoff teaches linguistics at UC Berkeley. She says that word is one of the most vulgar in the English language. Of 
course, we remember that not all that long ago you were able to say penis on radio and television, but you couldn't say what Oprah likes to call the vajayjay. But why name your book after a slur directed toward women? Like Off says if done right, taking pejoratives and spinning new meanings for them is an effective way to take the sting out. For example, the word black was used as an insult for a few hundred years until the civil rights movement reclaimed it. This was tremendously controversial at the time, even among white liberals, even among some blacks. It was uncomfortable because it still carried those negative connotations. There's kind of an art to reappropriating words, like queer. The word was taken by LGBT activists and repackaged as an umbrella term for sexual minorities. The reclaiming of queer was a source of inspiration for Andy Zeisler, the editor and co-founder of Bitch magazine. Bitch bills itself as a feminist critique of pop culture. Here's Zeisler on the phone from Portland. We knew what feminists are often called, and, and we just said, well, we're just going to go ahead and call ourselves that before you have a chance to. When directed toward women, linguist Robin Lakoff says bitch takes on the meaning that a woman is out of the control of men. That almost makes the word sound like a compliment, but we all know it's usually used as an insult. The bitchiest thing you can do is take back bitch, because it says you can't control me, you can't control my language, you can't make implications about who I am and what I'm not and what I ought to be by throwing these words at me. So if you can do it, if you can do it right, in the right attitude and so on, it's a very powerful thing. But that doesn't mean the title of the magazine doesn't offend some of the very people it's fighting for. Andy Zeisler says they've gotten many angry phone calls, like from mothers whose children came face to face with bitch in line at the grocery store. The ones that are most interesting to me are from people who say, you know, I really support the magazine, but I'll be honest, I have to rip the cover off whenever it arrives because I just don't like being confronted with that word. Zeisler says the process of reclaiming a slur is a lengthy one, and she doesn't think the word bitch is quite there yet. You know, there's always going to be the need for a word that's used to try and put those women in their place. And, you know, up till now, it's really been bitch. It's sort of been the go-to word. I don't know if that's really going to change. Still, Zeisler does believe that bitch has been defanged slightly over the years. It's not quite as offensive as it was in the mid-90s. And she hopes that bitch will follow in the path of queer. Though in the end, linguist Robin Lakoff says it isn't really about words at all. They're just reminders about the position that women are in and how important it is to get out of that position if we can. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.